Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Evening, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm Andy Haldane. I'm the Chief Executive here at the RSA. Um, It's a huge pleasure to welcome you all uh, to here, to the great room for those in the room, and also to welcome all those uh, online through the live stream. I know there are many hundreds online uh, too. Uh, As you all probably know, this is a red letter day for the RSA because we're here to celebrate the RSA's 2022 uh, Albert Medal Award. The Albert Medal was awarded, has been awarded annually right back to 1864 to recognise innovations, social innovations, that have contributed uh, positively to a better world for people for place uh, and for planet. And on the week of the Queen's funeral, what a poignant moment it is to be delivering uh, this year's medal as the Queen herself was a recipient uh, of it back in 1958. So I'm delighted to welcome uh, this year's uh, joint medalists, uh, Lord Andrew Mawson, and Professor Sir Sam Everington, who are recognised for their roles as pioneers of social prescribing to improve uh, public health and to support a fuller participation by everyone in society. Andrew uh, is Executive Chair of Well North Enterprises. Um, Thank you. A bit early for a heckle, but there you go. Um, and founder and president of the Bromley Bio Centre, where he developed uh, a patient-first healthcare approach over 30 years ago. Sam has been a GP since 1989 in the Bromley Bio Partnership. He's vice chair uh, of the North East London Care Commissioning Group, and he's uh, vice president of the British Medical Uh, Association. The social prescribing uh, first delivered by Bromley Bromley by Bow by Andrew and Sam is now part of a network of thousands stretching right around the UK, a genuinely transformative uh, social innovation. Through that work, Andrew and Sam's work uh, has demonstrated clearly the value of an integrated approach to not just health, uh, but to social and community care as well. How a fusion, how a fusion of education, uh, the arts, the environment, housing and employment, as well as health, are needed to support wider well-being within communities. That uh, multidisciplinary and collaborative approach to social design and to social change very much goes to the grain of what we're trying to do here at the RSA with our new strategic mission, Design for Life. That's another reason why tonight's award is so relevant uh, and so timely. We'll hear shortly... Uh, from our distinguished medalists on the future of social prescribing. 
And after that, the RSA's fantastic Chief Impact Officer, Andrew Samodnok, will then join them on stage for a discussion in which we'll all take part. So I think in advance of your questions to uh, put to Sam and to Andrew. We'll then wrap up uh, around 7.15. For those interested, there are some drinks afterwards uh, in the coffee house. So without further ado, uh, please uh, join me in welcoming and congratulating the 2022 Albert Medalists, Sam Everington and Andrew Mawson, to the stage to receive not just their Albert Medals, but also Honorary Life Fellowship of the RSA. Andrew Mawson, Sam Everington. Why social prescribing? What is it? And what next? Uh, this is Andrew. More recently, but as a young vicar turning up in the East End of London at the church at Bromley by Bow. So it was the church, first of all. And realising something was massively missing, both in terms of the church and health. The church couldn't carry on with the elderly population. Uh, that wasn't going to make it survive and sustainable. And he surfaced massive health problems in the community and systems that just didn't talk or speak to each other. This is him actually at uh, my wedding seven years ago. Uh, married me, uh, not literally, obviously. Um, <laughs> and um, serving champagne. Uh, and how Andrew is really different, I think is defined by my eldest daughter when she was christened 28 years ago. And I remember uh, two things. One is my brother-in-law, High Church, saying, Andrew, what's going on? You've got a small congregation. And Andrew saying, what are you talking about? I have 4,000 people who come through this community every week. And then um, my wife, uh, who said, Andrew, I've got a problem. I don't believe in God. Now, I've never seen her flummoxed so quickly when he said, Oh, that's not a problem. Now, what do you want in the service? <laughs> but I think that defines Andrew's approach. He was the founder of Bromley by Bow and tells you the story about social prescribing. It's opening up your hearts and minds to the community, working with and for them. At the same time, I was a single-handed GP in a lock-up shop with two outdoor toilets. But I knew I wanted it to be something different. I didn't wear a tie, that was unheard of in those days. Um, I only wear it for you tonight. Um, my patients all knew me by my first name. I gave them their notes to read. Not that they could read them, doctors writing in those days. Um, and um, it was a partnership with patients. And this was a really novel approach. And the first thing we did was bring in complementary therapists onto our site. Now, what was this all about? We realised, and I think it's articulated in two key statistics, 80% of healthcare is not what I was taught to do at medical school. That's only 20%. And if I'm to be a good doctor, I need to find a way of doing that other 80%. And in a few moments, I'll tell you what that 80% is, or try. 
The second thing is the dangers of medicine. So we do fantastic medicine. We get some of the best outcomes in the country for a whole raft of things. Good science and evidence base is really, really important. But never forget that between 10 and 20% of people admitted to hospitals are adverse effects due to drugs. And so all of this tells you that the health service is only a small part of the solution actually to people's health needs in the country. And if doctors and nurses can't embrace this wider concept of social prescribing, they're just not going to deliver what's needed for patients. Notice also a key thing about this. I sit next to the patient. It's about partnership in patients. Don't get me wrong, there are occasions, particularly doctors as patients or vicars, you have to sit them down and you say, sit down, shut up, I'm going to sort you out. Uh, you have to do that occasionally. But with the vast majority, it's about partnership. It's about also what matters to the individual. So I was taught at medical school, what's the matter with you? You've got diabetes and here's a drug I prescribe. Of course you're going to take it, aren't you? Uh, and of course it's going to make you better. Turn that on its head and just change the wording, what matters to you, and you start doing something completely different. You focus on mind, body, family, community. You unleash people's personal investment in managing their health care, their family investing in that, their communities investing in the improving in health. You give people a sense of belonging and therefore meaning and purpose in life. And as a doctor and an evidence-based scientist, guess what? You get better outcomes. If you measure your blood pressure with a machine, you will have five millimetres mercury blood pressure less. That's just one of hundreds of different examples of actually if you engage patients in managing their health, if you're the partner, you're going to be much more successful. So that was kind of the beginning. And what was the next part of the journey? The answer is it's not me and Andrew. It's 300 people who work regularly in Bromley by Bow in the GP uh, partnership. But actually, it's the thousands of people in the local community. So I wanted to share this with you, which just shows how much this is a community enterprise. And this was six months ago. Absolutely brilliant. This is 21 different groups pitching for 1,000 quid to do their project and having been supported by our teams, actually, to put that bid forward. It was incredibly exciting. And I thought, even I thought, there was only going to be one person who won the 1,000 pounds. So... Towards the end, I was getting my checkbook out because there were such fantastic projects, only to discover right at the end somebody announced, well, actually, the people who are sponsoring all this, the businesses, etc., were prepared to give £1,000 to every team. But you can imagine what that has unleashed in terms of community well-being with all sorts of different projects. So it's all of us. It's not me. It's not Andrew. It's, it's the whole community. And if there's one thank you I want to give to the RSA for this medal, it's a thank you on behalf of all social prescribers in this country. And of course, this is our amazing nursing team uh, who are doing the race for life. Of course, it, what are the key features that it's based on? The environment, improving the environment. So this is the entrance to Bromley by Bow. Have you ever seen a health centre entrance like that? Immediately calming you down with a beautiful fountain and water features. The environment, the creative side of people's lives. That might be uh, the pottery workshop, 
Um, but it might also be gardening. I could prescribe gardening. We persuaded the National Gardening Scheme to do a, a policy advice on gardening and health. Absolutely amazing. There is almost no better prescription you can give to somebody than gardening, both in terms of their mental and physical health. A jobs advisor. Okay, so we've done environment, we've done creativity. Give somebody a job and they will be healthier. Education. So we're a community university, so we teach all sorts of community degrees. And then this is one of our doctors running a, uh, a group, a teaching group with parents uh, on eczema, on minor ailments. What they achieved in this project was to reduce reattendance with minor ailments to GPs by 30%, but quite stunningly, the same 30% of attendance in casualty. So, so actually, what you create in this whole process is a win-win scenario. And of course, if you come to Bromley Bibo, you'll come into our cafe, you'll come into our social uh, prescribing. It looks like, like an internet cafe, but you can just come in off the street. Any problem is not a problem for us. And you'll see our social prescribing team do amazing things. 200 families who had their cost of energies and bills and household bills reduced by 2,000. That is stunning, actually. And in, in our environment in East London, that's the difference between food on the table or not. So we put it in all the practices in Tower Hamlets when I was CCG chair. Three years ago, we persuaded NHS England to set up the National Academy, but in some ways, more importantly, to put social prescribing in every practice in the country. Just imagine the impact that's beginning to have on patients. And of course, it's spreading across the country. So here you have Mike Dixon, who's uh, very well known as, a, as an advisor to King Charles, uh, but a GP in Devon. A medicinal herb garden, social prescribing. You have this fantastic mental health trust that's opened a cafe seven days a week run by mental health workers reduced acute admissions, we're talking acute admissions, we're not talking minor mental illness, by 30%. A GP friend of mine in St Austell's, 30,000 community um, in the southwest, very deprived community, connecting, as you might have guessed, with the Eden Project, and you can imagine the exciting things they're doing. And finally, a fantastic example of two nurses who reduced death in hospital from terminal illness from 47 to 14%. I think I would guess correctly that none of you would want to die from a terminal illness in hospital, given the choice of dying at home, surrounded by your loved ones. This is the sort of thing that comes with social prescribing. So uh, I've talked about why. I've talked about um, what is it. But what next? Because we're always about what next. What's next on our journey? And the issue next is children. Because social prescribing, compared to adults, hasn't touched uh, children in a significant way. And there is a very big reason it should. And I'm going to throw you some statistics, which I think will horrify you. 25% of teenage girls self-harm. 40% of 11-year-olds are overweight. 60% are overweight in this country. In Norway, where I come from, only 15%. 
By the way, if you ever want to look at a different possibility of a life, go and look at Norway and go and learn some lessons about what we need to be doing in this country. Children's mental health disorders pre and post COVID, so talking with two years, go from 12% of children to 17%. And despite this, only about a quarter of schools have mental health support teams and only on average one in six will have a school nurse. And my children rightly challenged me as an older person, why is the money going on me in the health service? Uh, I'm the one who's uh, wrecked the world, greenhouse gases, etc. I'm the one who's making it difficult for them to get a mortgage. They're challenging me entirely correctly. And, and my challenge to us tonight is, what are we going to give back to the children, to our future? And finally, I wanted to show you this final picture of Bromley Vibeau and something I never thought I'd see. So this is the park that we sit in. This is Monday morning, the queue for the food bank. One in 50 families. Who would have thought that in one of the richest countries in the world? Imagine the effect that's having on families and children and how sad it is. Yes, we, we serve them coffee, great conversations, great opportunities. But if we're really to give a lasting legacy, and that in a sense is my question to the RSA, is what is your role, what is my role with you to do something about the future of our nation, which is our children? And I would argue that to achieve better health in the long term, we certainly at least need a nurse on every, in every school and on the governing board of a school. I'm a father of five children. Yes, if they get nine A stars, wonderful, but actually, do you know what I want most of all? They land as an 18-year-old, happy, healthy, ready to face the challenges as an adult. And I'm not sure we're delivering that in this country. Thank you. Just a thing about the wedding, because <laughs> Linda, his wife, is here. Actually, Sam and Linda live in an apartment across the estate from Bromley by Bo, and actually it was fantastic to come from their apartment, Linda in all the gear and all this, Sam in his suit, which was quite good. He did wear a tie, I seem to remember, on this occasion, and um, with a jazz band. And a sort of great event in Bromley by Bo, as you could see, very open, that all the doors were open onto the street, and then the reception was in the park, actually, with loads of people. No men in jackets, no fences protecting the public, all of that stuff. It just happened naturally. That's what weddings are about. Weddings and the coming together of people is a health matter. Thank you very much for the award, and um, thanks for allowing us to say these few words. I wanted to say something about social prescribing and creating context for health in the middle of our towns and cities. What does that look like? Just before I do say something about that, um, Dr. David Haslam recently has said that the NHS, um, its present business model, will absorb 100% of GDP by 2070 if we carry on with the present business model. 
no defence, no education, no housing, it's all spent on health. Clearly not a sustainable model. The present narrative is profoundly out of date. At Bromley by Boas Sam is saying many years ago, we returned to the simple question as a Christian church community, following the sad death of Jean Viles at 35, who should not have died, the sad question, what is health? What is a human being? We are social creatures, as we have just witnessed in the last 10 days, who profoundly depend upon each other as communities, families, and as a society. Look what happened and think about a thousand years of history and the stories of a nation that were captured in that, good and bad. We are now through the Well North Enterprises programme, which I was asked to set up by Duncan Selby six years ago, taking the principles of Bromley by Bow, which Sam has been describing, into towns and cities across England. And we now have what we call innovation platforms, learning by doing environments, like this one that we are trying to generate in Rotherham, Bradford, Doncaster, now a whole systems approach in Surrey actually that's beginning to grow over the last three and a half years. We are working with business, with the public sector and with voluntary sector and we are being disruptive. But what does an innovation platform actually look like on one street? It's quite interesting, um, we've had a new member of staff joined us over the last year in Bombay by Bo, and I was meeting her before my summer holidays for the first time. And I said to Ellie, what do you think social prescribing is all about? And we were sat in the middle of the centre and she went like this, this is social prescribing. The 93 businesses, the artists, the flowers in the park, the culture of relationships, the housing company with Poplar Harker, the health centre, all of these pieces are to do with something we've just witnessed in the last 10 days. We are social beings. What are innovation platforms? I wanted to tell you about this street in called St Paul's Way in Tower Hamlets, 800 yards to the north of Canary Wharf. In 2006, I was asked by Christine Gilbert, the then Chief Executive of Tower Hamlets, to intervene in this street. There'd been a murder. A young man had been set on fire. There were some rather terrible things going on. And you had a white East End housing estate on one side of the road and a Bengali estate on the other. And there's quite a lot of violence and difficulty. And Christine said to me, Andrew, will you go spend a day down there and tell me what is going on? And I arrived outside the 1960s school with lots of politics going on in that school, by the way, failing. Only 35 families would put their children there. Police outside, West Indian boys with dogs, head teacher behind a fence, smoking, looking very worried. A GP practice next door, 11,000 patients. Failing social housing, been in the 60s and 70s, ticking government boxes. There'd been, as I looked over a recent decade, 54 different housing schemes, um, spent £3 million spent on architects, not a flat bill. A brilliant pharmacist across the road, Atul Patel, who'd been there 20 years, who I clearly recognised when I sat in the shop, 
that the patients loved, but none, no one in the system taking him seriously. Father Duncan, the Anglican priest at the end, hiding in his flat, which keep getting broken into. And I went back and explained to Christine what I'd seen. Oh my goodness, Andrew, it's worse than I thought. I will take 14 people away to a conference facility that we run nowadays in the Cotswolds for two days with a brilliant facilitator and see what happens. At the end of two days, first we met for a meal, by the way. Put your mobile phones away, put your policies away, and let's just meet as some people, shall we? End of two days, a unanimous agreement that none of us could sort this out on our own. That there was a relationship between the school, the health centre, the housing, these two communities, and it was all about people and relationships. And maybe we need to rethink how you build a village, a campus, what are the connections, the things that bind us together? Christine rang me up and said, Andrew, come into my office. And I went the next day and she said, Andrew, it's a miracle. You seem to have got a unanimous agreement. Let's create the St. Paul's Way Transformation Project. Christine, stop. The snake of government has been going through here for 40 years. Mrs. Thatcher's policies, John Major's policies, Tony Blair's policies, Gordon's, Dave and Nick, all well-meaning people. Little attention to practical detail in streets like this and thousands of streets all over the country like this. So Christine, and usually another government minister appointed, sound familiar, who stays six months with their latest policy, but no one stays as we've done 38 years and watches the cumulative effect of all of this. Christine, I refuse to join that. So if you want me to lead it, I'm going to ignore the snake. I'll pick off whatever I can, but I'm going to put a line right through it and it's going to take us 10 years and we're going to build it one brick at a time. Okay. Next point, Christine, is I have to get the top, the middle and the bottom of the health service, Alwyn's piece, your piece, the local authority, and Poplar Harker, the housing company, housing association, to work together. Otherwise, we'll all get very excited about it. When we try and innovate, the middle managers will come in and give me a hundred reasons why it can't be done. Not in our policy, da -da 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 -da. you can imagine. And the people trying to do it on the street will be totally confused. Andrew, I've just appointed a new director of primary uh, education called Kevin Collins. Go and see him. If he says yes, I say yes. I went to see Kevin and I said, Kevin, let's just cut through all the nonsense, shall we? It's not about structures, it's not about committee. This thing has been structured to death. It's about people and relationships. If we don't get real about this fundamental breakdown on the street, nothing will change. Never met Kevin Collins before. I thought another civil servant with the same old response, wrong. Andrew, come into my office, bring that little action plan and let's bring Steve from the regeneration, from the housing company and Alwyn from the health and da da da. We began to build. Massively difficult. We rebuilt a £40 million school. We created an entrepreneurial environment, a bit of BSF money. We went for it. We built a new £40 million school. 66% of our children last year went to Russell Group universities. Same housing estate, same children, same place. We built, with the help of the housing company, because the NHS structure lost the business plan and we had, to, we had a nightmare because they were again restructuring, with the help of the Housing Association, we built a £16 million health centre, which Dr Joe Hall, who sat over there, did the brilliant job of turning around with 11,000 patients. And actually, the pharmacist Atul Patel, who was absolutely entrepreneurial but had never been in the school before we took him in, actually, 
has built a new pharmacy and spent 100,000 of his own money on robotics, by bringing the community together and really drilling into what's going on on all these policies on housing with every man and his dog having an opinion, the environmentalist, the disabled lobby, da, da. sorry, you can't do everything in life. The opinion I'm interested in is a local resident with rats running through their kitchen. Opinions have hierarchies. Can we please get real? We've built 595 homes and a new primary school. Health centre outstanding in every regard. Resident satisfaction, I think it was last October, in this housing, 85%. It is a campus. Housing, education, as Sam is saying, health, relationships, do I have a job? All these things are fundamentally to do with health. That is an innovation platform. That is about learning by doing with local players, the head teacher, the GP, the housing person, council, chief executive, middle manager. I suggest that fundamentally the machinery of the state is out of date. It is not fit for purpose. I can see it in Rotherham on Friday. I can certainly see it in Bradford while we're trying to help them build a new £45 million integrated health facility. And it's not the, Bradford is not to blame. There is some fundamental problems here. And what is happening in the stuff Sammy's talking about and what this is about is an attempt to open up a new world which says health is everybody's business. It's not going to be sorted out by think tanks, by people who've never built it, or academics writing research documents who've never done it. They can be helpful, but it's not going to be sorted out there. It's going to be sorted out in the towns and cities and streets on the ground who do the stuff. The Well North Enterprise Programme is all about that. When we began Bromley by Boat, it was like facing a giant juggernaut. To be honest with you, the first person who really helped us move on was, funnily enough, has just become the king, as a matter of fact. He wrote one of his Black Spider memos when he visited, and I was having a little problem with joining up funding. And I ended up in an office with the then John Gummer, now my good friend Lord Deben, sits in the House of Lords. And John Gummer saying, Andrew, you know that joint funding you wrote? Well, your bid wasn't very well written. This is how joined up government is. Really, Mr Gummer? I wrote it with your civil servants. An embarrassed private secretary leaves the room, <laughs> returns five minutes later, says, Secretary of State, we wrote the bid. Ah. <laughs> Andrew, would you resubmit the bid in six months' time, but don't mention you're building a health centre? I said, but we are building a health centre on the three acres of land. Don't mention it. I took out the picture of the health centre and the paragraph, resubmitted the bid, and a few weeks later, phone call said, this is a brilliantly written bid, and we in the department have a mind to support it. I suspect we would not be here today, actually, if it wasn't for the Prince of Wales, who dared to do what he promised to do when he said, leave it with me. It's about people who come together. It's about innovation. And it's about learning by creating, learning by doing environments. Health, I suggest, is now everybody's business. Thank you very much. Oh, I'll just show you these pictures.
There's the school. There's some of the housing. And Professor Brian Cox, by the way, another little thing, had been running a science summer school there, now for 11 years, focused on how Britain becomes the best place to do science in the world. And we have four science summer schools now developing in Northern Ireland, Surrey, up in Rotherham, and we've been running one in Skelmersdale. And this is the Well North programme that we're running. Have a look online. Building the future, one brick at a time. Thank you very much. Sam, Andrew, thank you so much for those incredibly inspiring words and uh, for sharing your wisdom with us this evening. Um, I'm shortly going to come to the audience and be asking questions. And I also understand there are hundreds of people online who are submitting questions. So I will also return questions from them. But before I start, perhaps, I was once reminded of a phrase where someone said, you don't build a kitchen every time you want to eat. And when I look at the blueprint and the insights that you've drawn, as you say, over 38 years, what, if you like, would be your advice to others who think, do you know what, this makes sense, that the evidence is there, the data's there, the outcomes are there, how might we make this happen in our place, whether, whether that is in Norway, Australia, Canada, or somewhere else here in the UK? So I just wonder if you might reflect on perhaps any kind of insights you might bring in terms of how might you fast track this? Or, or does it, in fact, take a very sort of slow movement from, from the bottom up and being on the ground? I mean, to what extent can we scale your insights uh, more widely? Shall I kick off? Well, the Well North programme is absolutely about that, doing across the country. And what we are finding in a whole range of different places, of course, is loads of people who get this conversation, some of them in the health service, some of them in local authorities, some of them in business, definitely people who are just massively frustrated by the systems and processes that are preventing these very things that now need to happen. We live in an enterprise economy. People are growing up with the internet in an entrepreneurial culture. Health demands we're allowed to do these things, otherwise you become massively frustrated. So I suppose my simple answer to people is, just go for it. Stop worrying about what government thinks. Stop worrying about yet another Secretary of State and just do the thing you have to do. We, Sam and I, I think, would both say, we've never followed government. We've tried to lead it. We've never... This, I watch at the moment there's a real danger in the north of England, I worry, of dependency cultures, and we've seen it in East London and repeating, when your government decides to throw a load of money at stuff, and you think it's about following that. It's not, it's about doing the right thing in your, your community. And that's why those people very locally grounded become really, really important. People with names and addresses. I don't know what Sam thinks. It, it reminds me of a project. So projects come and go, uh, depending mm. on individuals, needs, a whole raft of things, of a lovely project which I, I called the Leghouse and Flower Ranging Clinic. And um, you can imagine if you put that proposition to the NHS, uh, I was a CCG chair for 10 years, I know how the NHS works, they would come up with lots of reasons to say no, or you're off your trolley, or what are you talking about, or we've got to put it to a, a committee, or let's have a business case. You recognise all these many ways of saying no. What this is about is just saying yes. Yeah. 
And actually what that nurse delivered was fantastic cure of leg ulcers. She'd worked out that it was elderly women with smelly wounds, lost her self-esteem, become housebound. She brought the joy back into their life. She brought the mobility back into their life. And she did fantastic wound dressings. So there's something about just saying yes. And the final point I'd make also is um, people are often ask us, well, what's our vision? And you, you know, organizations spend ages thinking about their visions, don't they? And you, know, you would think from us it would be to provide brilliant and excellent primary care. Well, it's not. And you'll see it on an email from us. And it's very, very simple. It's fun, friendship, compassion, and assume it's possible. And if you take that and that ethos and that vision, anything's possible and it will be different wherever you go because it will follow people's passions. So a GP colleague of mine in Leicester has a police station in her waiting room. And you can see the little blue light. And she's reduced the crime rate on the local housing estate to 20% of what it was. And the police uh, bosses think they're wonderful because because actually they've achieved this. But actually, this is the first time they've also been liked by the community. Very simple idea, wasn't it? Why don't you put them with the GP? Actually, one of the most trusted people in people's communities. So there's something, finally, about saying, assume it's possible, but also think out of the box. And, and finally, it actually, I say this as an ex-lawyer, if you're not breaking the rules, you're probably not doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that very much speaks to perhaps the challenge for governments sometimes, which is governments often want to create a system that's equal for everyone, that everyone gets the same service, that everyone has the same experience. And rather than thinking about what matters to people and tailoring it and responding to individual cases, giving that standard approach, which kind of leads us to a factory model where everyone gets the same. And I think that Perhaps sometimes public servants feel that they need to do that consistency. But what you're describing is it feels like a breath of fresh air because it does, I think, connect with common sense around we're not all the same as people. So how might we tailor and organise these kinds of um, services and systems in order to respond to what people on the ground actually need and want, which I think is probably the heart of yeah. a lot of community. I mean, can I just say something about the... I mean, personally... I dumped a lot of the rhetoric about equality and fairness years ago because I've discovered very fine words at 60,000 feet. When you watch the practicalities of what happens when you put words like that into the machinery of government, some very strange unintended consequences indeed. Indeed, Joe and I and Sam can illustrate it just recently in St Paul's Way. So imagine St Paul's Way is now 10 years in. A lot of things are happening in St Paul's Way. There's a whole culture of dynamic, a lot of it in health led by Joe and the team. You know, some really brilliant people there. Suddenly we found, under that, the whole GP practice. Joe chairs the governors. Joe is a fundamental part of a team of people. who's done a fantastic job. He's going out to some commissioners in North London who've never been to Bromley, <coughs> who never rang me or anyone else up, said, what's the story of this place? Who are going to decide whether this GP and his team can stay in St Paul's, a place they know absolutely nothing about, well, you can imagine the consequences. Now, fortunately, we, we won the contract, but it could have gone the other way. Think about that. And we have many examples of this across the country. The lack of, we have just celebrated 70 years of continuity. 
When you're in the middle of the stuff where continuity really, really matters, I tell you, we need to get interested not in theories, not in ideologies from people who've never done anything, but in the practical experiences of Dr. Joe Hall, <laughs> Sam Everington, those in Meeting Bradford who are actually trying to do this and have stayed the course. We need to get interested in practical people because that ideological stuff, I tell you, is having many unintended consequences for the people Sam and some of us are talking about here. It's not meaning to do that, but when you get into the nuts and bolts and you do stuff, you learn stuff. And the reason at Well North Enterprises we are growing innovation platforms and trying to preserve government, if you really want to transform, that's what it looked like, let a thousand flowers bloom, you have to get interested in practice. Any entrepreneur will tell you, and I work with Brian Cox, he'll tell you that's how science works, by the way, also. Unless you learn by doing, you're not learning at all, actually. You can read as many books as you want on having children. Most of you will know who have children. You then wake up at two in the morning and you start the learning process. And by the way, you also discover, and me and him have had kids and they're all older, that they teach you far more than you teach them. It's not straightforward. I think that's very much music to our ears here at the RSA. And uh, you were saying before, what might the RSA do in this space, and particularly in relationship to that next generation? And I wonder if you might Sam, be able to talk a little bit more about what you think we might need to do in terms of some of your thinking around education and moving beyond, if you like, the healthcare setting and GPs, but actually extending this way of working more broadly. Um, so I think you're a fantastic organisation that is quite unique in being able to bring all sorts of different people together from uh, different specialties, from politics and everything else. That's a fantastic... It's a convening uh, potential. I, I think uh, I've done a number of campaigns in my life. The Junior Doctors Hours in 89, where the campaign was to reduce hours from 84 to 72. It was a bit like, please, sir, can we just have a little bit better life? Uh, stuff on race discrimination, a whole raft of different campaigns. And I don't want you to think of a campaign in terms of, you know, out on the street, strike, that sort of thing. I'm saying, an absolute focus on our next generation. What, what governments and politics is always about is the immediate, actually. What's, what can be delivered in a year or two years? Actually, what's absolutely vital is to be thinking about our next generation. And I think, I hope, that some of the statistics I gave you are sufficient concern for you to think, actually, we've got to do something different. Now, I'm half Norwegian. I've just spent two months at Oslo University on sabbatical. Um, it's completely different over there. It's one of the happiest countries in the world. Kids will learn to swim, all of them. They will learn an instrument, all of them. They will be part of a brass band in a school. Uh, they have something called a Friluftsklub after school, where all the parents are involved. Friluft means free life, free air, where all the parents are actually involved in the schooling and after school. If you do that, if you change what you do, there's something that's fantastically possible. And that's what I would love to see the RCA do, uh, doing, actually, is taking that long-term approach, actually, to changing uh, the circumstances for the next generation. I think, personally, finally, I'd say, I think there needs to be a massive challenge, actually, to 
our schooling philosophy in this country, which is so different to the Scandinavian countries. You know, five children, uh, yes, nine A stars, but actually happy, healthy, ready to, to uh, face the world at the age of 18. And that, to me, would be a fantastic COVID legacy if you choose to take that challenge. And I think you've got such skill and talents within your organisation, it's entirely possible. But it is a long game, too. Don't, don't assume this is going to happen overnight. I mean, Andrew and I have been at it, and all our team have been at it 35 years. It takes time, but my God, it's worth it. Brilliant. Um, I mean, it's, it is quite curious. When you think back to the RSA's history, we would never think it was a good idea to send children up chimneys. And yet, of course, that was something that used to happen and that the RSA had a, a say in changing. So if we cast our minds forwards 200 or 250 years and we look back on today, some of the things that we take for granted right now we might think of as being from a very different era, I would hope. Um, so but I think that you know, your point is really well made in terms of starting in, on the ground but then also uh, being there for the long term and not and recognizing i think you could describe it as the snake of government you know governments change over time but some of these problems really persist and if you if you look at the map of london some of the poverty in london has been generational in mm. the same square mile and you think well actually there must be something beyond just the policy of the day there's something deeper here which i think um, you're so inspiring in terms of how you have shifted so much so I did promise you that I will come to the audience. Um, I'm going to kick off with the online. We've online uh, questions, thank you everyone online, are coming in thick and fast. So I'm going to kick off online, and then I'm going to turn to you to perhaps take two or three questions um, to ask of Sam and Andrew. So kicking off, you did say you're willing to accept questions that might be um, getting to the crux of the issue here. So let's kick off with one from Jane. Uh, Jane says... Uh, I see a change of behaviour from some of those in our public sector organisations where social prescribing is being embraced. But I'm concerned about funding and the funding deficit in the social sector. How can they deliver in a, in a kind of hostile funding environment? And in some ways, I think that speaks to the crux of this, which is a lot of money gets put into some parts of the system and then other parts experience a bit of a desert, if you like, of funding. And how might we recognise that not all things that are funded matter and all things that matter are funded? But perhaps uh, if you could speak to that kind of question. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm really interested in the money and how it works. And again, <coughs> what we've noticed with lots of the lottery and a whole range of these funding mechanisms, I mean, 357 million was spent on health and living centres some years ago. We were the model. Where did it all go? Everyone got a lick, no one got a meal. A meal really matters. The detail of all of this. Uh, my colleagues, and we're watching this around the country at the moment, worry about the business model. Because again, our civil servants, who are well-meaning, who are not bad people, but often have never run any of this stuff, and have not involved people who have, have created a business model that we don't think is sustainable. And actually, the thing in places like Bromley by Bow, which is still under a lot of financial pressure, like thousands of charities and social enterprises I see around the country, because they're not a school, they're not the NHS, they have to survive on their wits and what they do, Therefore, we think money needs to follow the person so that they can choose where they want to spend that money. So the grants, the whole culture of investment that we have in this country, 
much of it coming out of out-of-dated civil service ideas about fairness and equality, I think we can't afford anymore. I think we have to get more entrepreneurial about people, assets, money, how we use them, and just in t if social prescribing and all of this is going to be sustainable, which it must be so for the reasons we're describing, let alone the financial implications for the NHS, then the business and funding model, a discussion about that becomes urgent and really important. So, so there's kind of two things. Um, I think there needs to be a very wide debate about how the money is spent. So I asked my CCG just before it was closed down in July, I asked my finance director, uh, can you please tell me what's our budget for children? He couldn't answer the question. In fact, I asked lots of questions about how we spent the money and about the only thing he could answer was we spend 40 million on the structure. Yeah. And so I think there needs to be a much wider debate. As I mentioned before, about 50% gets spent in the last year of somebody's life. Yeah. And I hope I have the guts to carry on my argument of saying that shouldn't happen in my last year, too. Uh, but we need to have that challenge. If you think of the cost and the money that was invested in my generation during COVID and the sacrifices the younger generation made, there's something completely out of balance in our society. And, and I, s I say this as parents, surely my whole life has been about investing in my family and my children. Why don't we have the same concept more widely? The second part of it is it's not just all about money. Those 21 projects, that was £1,000. That is peanuts. If you go to any big business, you know, actually, uh, the social enterprise that we set up with Bromley by Bo, uh, funded by Investec, that's 17000 So 1000 is an incredible investment. Because what you're getting back is all their energy, all the community's energy. And there's something about unleashing that. I think, personally think, I think for too long the politics, certainly around the NHS, has been, you don't need to do anything. Sam will prescribe you a statin. The NHS will sort you out. Well, we won't and we're not. And there needs to be that honest debate about actually the fact that when patients do engage in their own health care, you know, 25% of deaths caused by by the wrong diet. You know, we're not going to solve the problems that Andrew articulated. It's going to be 100%, isn't it, of our budget, unless we have this honest discussion mm -hmm. about people investing their time and energy in managing their own health, their family's health, and their community's health. And we have a much more evidence-based debate about where we're spending our money at this moment in time. Can I just add to that? Because this is very real for me in the family, because my mum's 104 in a week's time. So the, the long journey, you know, you've got the long view on what's just happened in the last 10 years. She can remember the previous world. And absolutely agree with what Sam is saying. There needs to be a lot of innovation in this space because just endlessly interfering in people. I'm a clergyman. People can die well. Dying well and living with their families is really, really important in my view. But it isn't about endless intervention into the human body. Of course it is. But my mum is tired, actually. She doesn't want, I mean, she's, she's fortunately good. She can remember what's happening 70 years ago, but not yesterday. Life is good. But I know if she, she doesn't want more interference from any doctor. She wants to be able to go to sleep at some point. She's tired. That's okay. Dying well, living through these things. We need to have these conversations, I think. 
that are far more human. And this is my point if you get down to the granular street level. With those, when Jean Viles died, it wasn't the NHS level. It was her friends who took care of her, as a matter of fact. If you build these cultures, often you build these relationships. And it happens naturally, Sam, and I see it in mummy around older people. You know, the relationships can be part of that process. Um, so, no, I, I mean, I think we've got a lot of work to do there, by the way. But I think it's absolutely critical that conversation happens. If you look at where we're spending the money. Amazing. So, oh, hands, lots of hands. Everyone's patiently waited. Thank you so much. What I'm going to do is take uh, questions in threes, if that's okay, and then I'll invite our medalists to respond. Uh, we'll, who's our mic? We're going to start with the lady here on the end, just to keep our mics moving. We're then going to go to the lady... Yep, you... <laughs> the lady there. Um, and then the gentleman here at the front. Um, just to say, if you could say your names, uh, if you're a fellow, by all means, let us know that you're a fellow. Be delighted if you are. Um, and ask your question. So, Thank you. Uh, my name is Helen. I come from a creative production background, but know how the NHS operates, etc. After an accident, I became really interested in fitness, and I'm trying to create, a, create a, an interactive platform to engage those that don't engage in physical activity, mainly aimed at over 55s, but it could be for young people as well. And I, my aim is to do it borough by borough. How can I engage with Lord Mawson and Sam to d discuss further? Brilliant. Thank you. Um, next Hi. Question. Yeah, my name's Emma Drew. I'm from the Hero Partnership on the South Coast. Um, I completely applaud what's been said about people and continuity and relationships. Um, we, get, we do a lot of social prescribing, deliver transformational change of the kind that you've been hearing about. Um, our biggest challenge isn't just the resources, but actually the continuity with our healthcare colleagues. There's huge staff churn. Just when you think you've got to know a commissioner, yeah. they disappear into another job. Yeah. So what do Sam and Andrew think the RSA could do to help in terms of you know, creating a commissioning structure that can think long-term, that can be entrepreneurial. Brilliant. And our last of the first three questions. Hi, I'm Neville Farmer. I'm, I'm a writer and a filmmaker and a musician and a fellow. But, um, but I'm also a town councillor in a little town called Corsham in Wiltshire. There's 14,000 people in the town. We've done quite a lot <coughs> of what turned out to be social prescribing since the start of lockdown, particularly for local children and isolated elderly people and families in trouble, across a range of different arts, sports and other things. But what concerns me is that the joined up thinking that you're talking about is really hard to do in a very small space, particularly in terms of getting funding, and because most of the power lies with the county. Mm. And I don't want to have to go to the county for things because then they will just say no. So I'd, I'd like to know your ideas, really, on how we as a, as a community can get together and, amongst other things, get around GDPR. Yeah. Because many of the people who provide services are individuals and I'm not allowed to tell anyone that they do. So if there's anything you can give help on that way, I'd really love to know. Thank you. Brilliant. 
So, I mean, certainly also, the, presumably, there are big lessons from this COVID period in terms of volunteering and how communities have come together that we might uh, extend going forwards. But, um, yeah. So, um, so, first of all, to Helen, I'd say, come and visit us. Uh, I'm always having people to lunch in our cafe, uh, run by an amazing team, actually, with, um, with learning disabilities. So it's a training ground for them. Um, and come and taste what we do. We, we won't say to you, do what we do. Uh, we'll say, this is what we do. This is where it's gone wrong. How can we help you in the process? If you want it to do more formally, one aspect of the charity can do formal events, actually, all day. They have teams for some business that come and use that to really think about how they do their business in a very different way. Um, continuity of care. There's a Norwegian study. I'm very clear about that. Uh, continuity of care from a GP it talks about, but actually uh, much um, greater pickup of cancer and heart disease. So continuity is the really important thing. And that, I think, is where the RSA is. I mean, you've been here for hundreds of years. You are continuity. Uh, and using your continuity to make some of this stuff happen would be fantastic. And finally, for Neville, I'd say it's always about relationships. Find, find the people, you know. Um, we, we've had lots of visitors over the years at Romney Piper, and they all, they all go away and they learn something. But every sort of tenth one actually will come up with an idea or funding. Uh, but it's always about individuals. So if you put something formally to the council, yes, you'll have umpteen reasons why not to do it. But go and see people and find something that's their passion. You know, that councillor who's got a, uh, a mother who's got breast cancer. So talk to them on an individual level. I used to work for Robin, Robin Cook years ago uh, uh, when I was young, and one of the things I was taught people when they came in to see him is make it personal. Find, find, find a connection, find a human story, and you'll make things happen. Um, Brian Mawinney was one of the key people. Uh, he taught me, by the way, at medical school. He was a Tory... Uh, MP, you can imagine how popular that was with medical students. Um, but he was fantastic. He he just uh, he saw what we were doing. Uh, he said to Andrew, "I'm just going to back it." He took the tube chain to the head of health in Tile Hamlet, sat in her waiting room for an hour. She came out and saw the health minister there. You can imagine how terrified she was. <laughs> and she immediately said, hang on a sec, I come to you, you don't come to me. And he said, that's fine. I've got a, an idea here about Bromley by Bo, I want you to make it happen. I mean, don't get me wrong, she was quite slightly pissed off. <laughs> but she had no choice. So, but that's about individuals and relationships and people breaking the rules and doing the right thing. So it's finding people within the system with a passion. It's winning their hearts and minds that matter. It's not the business case. Brilliant. I'm going to take one question online, and then I'm going to take three more questions. And then we, if our questions are nice and short, we should have time to cover up all of that. There are many, many questions online, I should say. But um, picking out one, I think, um, from the questions online, comes from Hazel. And Hazel would like to know, about how we ensure social prescribing is top quality. And Hazel asks specifically, how can we involve more employers in supporting new models of health by creating social and economic impact? So just thinking about, I guess, the whole system and how 
the private sector and companies? What role might they play um, in furthering this? And then also to her question about quality. Shall I talk about what we're actually doing? And I'd like to pick up what's been said here. Yeah, actually. absolutely. We've all Because we together. have an innovation platform in Surrey at the moment that's three and a half years in, and it's really fascinating, actually, what we're seeing. And I think you're right. And, uh, but I don't think it's just true where you are. I think it's a major problem of disconnects, even when you're working with the senior leadership, actually, who are good people. These systems between the district, the county, and also really talented voluntary sector and charitable people who are doing entrepreneurial things, being ignored. We're the council. We're in charge. No, you're not. You're not anymore. You're a partner. You have to find the stones that roll and roll with them. And some of them might be in your team, but some of them might not, actually. You've, it's about these new relationships, actually. But my point is, those disconnects only come out of the woodwork when you start to do stuff. So we're working in a small town, and where there's potentially a pathfinder for the whole of the county, we work some brilliant people there, by the way. But there's historic disconnects that we are now finding under the carpet, much as I found when we began in Bromley. And so when you look under the carpet and you do things, you see things that no researcher is ever going to notice because there are 60,000 feet. They're not in with the kids and the reality and the messy stuff. Actually, if governments and politicians were really interested, we need to get into the weeds on all that stuff because that stuff is preventing the very things that need to happen. You're absolutely correct, but sadly, it's not just where you are. Um, that's true. Um, the thing about um, um, quality social prescribing, Sam and I, our colleagues at Bromley Bible, we know people, we've all built relationships. We know what their strengths and weaknesses are. He knows what my strengths and weaknesses are. I know what his is. That's the point. We're not some anonymous people. We built a community that tries to be honest. And if you can get that level of honesty in a culture, then you can say, my senior team, even across the country, say, no, Andrew, you're not going into that meeting. You're hopeless at that. They're right. Sometimes they also say quite nicely, Andrew, you are the only person who needs to do that. Uh, and I think we would be like that. I think, and you know, it's not that because he's a doctor, he knows everything about health and I'm a clergyman and I know everything about God. It's not true. It's far more complicated than that, you know. So, so uh, quality comes out of, my real worry about the NHS at the moment is we're losing some really good people, you know. They're very unhappy. I can see it around the country. They're becoming ill, including my own brother who retired early. He got healthy when he got out of it. That is a really serious issue. Involving employers, we have major, we have partnerships with Ibstock and Barrett at the moment, two major businesses, one of the biggest housing companies in the country, around this innovation platform. They've been working with us on the Brian Cox Science Summer School, actually, we're running in Rotherham. Actually, really fascinating, starting to connect two schools directly with these companies. Stephen Boys would tell you, who's the chief operating officer, a really good person, that actually he needs to find, if this green agenda is for real and we move beyond the rhetoric, and by the way, I've listened to loads of rhetoric in the House of Lords about all of this, fanciful figures at 60,000 feet. When I point out that when I try and buy an electric car and I ask how many plug-in points are there in the multi-storey car park below the, the House of Lords, which is a very large thing, do you know what I find from the facilities manager? Two. The distance between chatter and research and practical reality below your feet that doesn't need planning. I tell you, 
The clues are in the micro. So I think it's really, really important that actually we form relationships with business, learning by doing. So we call it corporate social opportunity. We're about to start on 4,000 homes in the east of England, actually, which has implications for the school, the health bit, the whole bit. They've just bought a site in Rotherham where we're going to link the science summer school, the two schools that are involved. Um, you can see what's happening here. If Stephen is going to find those 5,500 staff with the right skills, because he'll admit he doesn't have them, not only him, but many don't, then these companies need relationships now, not with universities, but with the primary schools there. Ten years, they're going to need these people with the skills. Those 400 homes and the innovation platform are going to involve those children in a whole learning-by-doing environment with these businesses now. The Science Summer School, the last one we ran, had 600 children in Gulliver's theme park. You know, it's a bit like Disney. I don't know if you've been there. I was there last week. We're going to build a 23,000 square foot skills thing there for children in the play park, connected to the innovation plot and connected to the Science Summer School program. That's about joining the circles. It's the, what probably by bow is like a load of circles that interconnect. It's not this kind of thing that the civil service, education, health, it's about the crisscrossing of these circles. And it's about people like us and Joe and the head teachers having coffee together and getting to know each other, actually. That's what innovation platforms looks like. And when I get into conversations with these businesses and we do stuff together and we spend quality time, I start to understand their business, not from an ideological 60,000 naive view, but the weeds and the realities of running a business with 5,500 staff. And they start to understand what we're doing in Bromley by Bow, on a street, I work on the Olympic Park, all of that stuff. And a set of relationships begin to happen in a learning by doing environment. I think that's what the future's got to look about. And I don't think our civil service, our government, and our politicians are anywhere near it at the moment. So, I am conscious of time. We're going to have to be pretty quick in con cantering through these questions. So, there's three I will take. I'll take the one from the front. Uh, gentleman here and the gentleman at the back, and I'm really sorry for those who haven't had a chance to have your questions. Could I implore upon you to keep it really brief so that we can then return and hear from the medalists? So, over to you. Don't worry, it'll be very quick. Uh, my name's Tim Nolan, I'm a fellow of the RSA. Um, last week, we, oh, I'm a, my background is in commercial, but I'm now a non exec on a recent IC, NHS ICS. So, oh. sort of very, very relevant in terms of bringing things together. Um, last week we had the privilege of hearing uh, Professor uh, Marmot talk about uh, Marmot Places amongst other things here last week. Um, how, if at all, do they overlap with what you're doing? Because they both sound like great ideas, sort of in a similar space. Um, if, are you working at all together? And if, if, if so, why? If so, why not? Okay, we're going to be really quick. I'm conscious. I'm running down to the last few minutes. So there was... A here. Hello, my name is Amina. I'm an RSA fellow. I'm the founder of the coaching network here and I was trained by Michael Marmot, so thank you for asking that question because that was one <laughs> of them. Um, the other one was I left public health uh, as a public health doctor specialised in inequalities in health, very passionate about the issues you're talking about because I felt uh, the mindsets were an issue and that's how I ended up more in the entrepreneurial space as a coach. I was wondering how we can support the social prescribing agenda because many of us work more in the corporate and the private sector because that's where the cash is, that's where people want to invest in coaching. 
how can we bridge this gap um, so that we bring these technologies to ca catalyze change, to change the mindsets uh, to the public sector and the social prescribing agenda? And finally, Paul. Paul Atherton, uh, also a fellow. I uh, specialize in social campaigning on the issue of homelessness at the moment. And my question really is about gentrification. Most of this works on the idea of community and we're watching our communities get decimated across our city at the moment. And how do you see yourselves positioning social prescribing within environments that don't necessarily have cohesive communities? Thank you, thank you everyone. And, uh, sincere apologies if you have a question you haven't had a chance to ask of it. Um, we will have afterwards as well if you're in the house. And there are many, many questions online as well. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions online. In our last few minutes, I wonder if you might just pick out a few thoughts, either from that or more generally, that um, you'd like to draw our thoughts to. What shall I do with the gentrification point? Because I listen to these words and read them in our newspapers a lot. So when Bambabo, one of the issues we had many years ago, 20 odd years ago now, was housing. It was all run by the local authority, 97% of it is a terrible mess. Dustbins and rubbish everywhere. It's a public health problem in all sorts of ways. I was asked whether I might become involved in thinking of setting up a housing association. And I said, no. And they said, why are you saying no? I said, because I was there, this is the long journey, when housing associations were set up by very entrepreneurial, innovative people who wanted to do something different. And they were good people, I was there. And then we got too interested in government. Government created the Housing Corporation, remember that? <coughs> Full of good people, well-meaning people. And then I began to look in Bradford and Manchester and some of these things, and the grass didn't get cut. By year five, all that money, all the water, salt coming down, the, etc. Twenty-odd years in, you're looking at a lot of this stuff, if you're not careful, looks very much like local authority housing again, you know, and it's certainly not joined up. So we said... We would create the first housing company in the United Kingdom that would connect housing, education, health, and a residence. And we would call it Poplar Harker, which is about housing and regeneration and bringing that together. It was massively difficult. We appointed Steve Stride as the chief executive, who's done a brilliant job, as a matter of fact, who, by the way, stayed the course from day one. Um, actually, gentrification, bring it on. What we have been about is mixed communities. I do not buy, and I've been to their posh offices up in King's Cross, the Guardian view of the world and the 23-year-old journalist giving us all this stuff about gentrification. Sorry, we wanted to build mixed communities in East London and on the Olympic Park, by the way, and on St Paul's Way you will find social and private housing, but I bet you can't tell which is which. It's the quality and detail of the detail of how you build mixed communities that's about schools, health centre, jobs and skills. How you the rich mix of all of that is really, really important. You know, I've spent two, my dad was a milkman on the Thorpe Edge housing estate in Bradford. I was out there at 12 delivering milk. I can smell now what social housing meant for people. Even now I can imagine it, it's there. You know, I saw it in the east of London. I'm not sure the systems, despite all the BBC documentaries have learned anything you know, we've got to spend more money on this stuff. I'm not sure the machinery's learnt anything. But I do know we have. And I do know there's massive changes gone on. And there's a deep working relationship between Poplar Harker and Bombay by Bow, and a whole, the school and a whole range of elements with Joe, etc. And they're absolutely focused <coughs> on residents, on giving them decent... And choices in housing 
own your house, afford a mixture. I.e., I'm into what gentrification really means, which is about people having access to jobs, decent housing, it's this stuff. The devil and the detail. It's not about the slogans in the press, it's about the detail. Thank you. And Sam, uh, final, final thoughts. We probably haven't got a chance to go through all the questions, but no doubt you have some final yeah, thoughts. Then you pick up. Incredibly difficult questions how to sort out business, how to sort out the NHS. Thank you for that. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you saw that out. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that too. I, I think uh, I'll, I'll give you a very brief answer. I think so. I've done a lot of work with Professor Mark. He does the academic, the stats, and I do the stories. Kind of what is it like on the ground? Get those two things together, bring them to the ISES or the other way around. Go and see uh, Michael and come and see some of the social <coughs> enterprise places. You, you, have to, um, you have to taste it, you have to talk to it, you have to bump into Karen. So I took Dido Harding around uh, before she uh, took on the, uh, the whole testing regime. Um, and um, I didn't plan anything. There wasn't a set piece tour. Uh, nobody knew who she was, and we just bumped into people all the way. And that's massively powerful, by the way, particularly for politicians, because they know it's authentic, it's not artificial. So there's something about bringing business down to us and other enterprises like us, and just seeing what happens. It'd be a bit wild. You never, I never quite know what's going to come out at the end of the day, but something does. Uh, and it comes out because it follows their interests and their passions w with kind of meeting people who've done things and made mistakes and made successes. And um, Paul, I think what I'd say to you is, um, look, if we could do it in one of the most deprived areas of the country, and by the way, primary care now in Tower Hamlets, by the way, it was the place where GPs, when they, I came 32 years ago, Political, religious, can't get a job anywhere else, and that was the biggest grouping. Mm. Completely yeah. transformed, actually, some of the best outcomes in diabetes and heart disease. It's entirely possible in a deprived area. If I was to say where to start straight away, find the anchor organisations that we talked about that will deliver the continuity that are going to be around in the long term. In your community, it might be the church, it might be the schools, it might be the general practice. Almost invariably if they're within the organisations, it's the individual. And you will, you, will, you will know them when you meet them, trust me. You will have a conversation and you will, you will know this is the person who's going to be around here for many years, like GPs are, and actually has a passion to do something uh, different. But I, d I don't believe it's not possible. And actually, the reason I think we won the argument about social prescribing and the uh, primary care networks in Tower Hamlets is actually we were able to say to NHS England, oh, for God's sake, because they kept on saying, well, well, we don't know how to do it elsewhere. And I just fired back at them. I said, listen, mate, if we can do this in the most deprived area of the country, there's no excuse. So don't start giving excuses. There is a way, and we'll help you work out what that way is. Brilliant. Well, look, um, we could carry on all night, certainly. It has been incredibly inspiring. And I loved your point about um, not 
uh, breaking the rules, if you like, and um, working, I always think about working in the space between the rules. Um, yeah. But working with people who have burning eyes and who want to make change happen, and so inspiring to hear what you've done and what you will continue to do. Um, I cannot think of any more worthy medalists, so it has been an honour and a pleasure to have you. Thank you for your questions. Thank you to those online. I did break the rules slightly and ran over by five minutes. Apologies, everyone, for my terrible chairing. All that really remains for me to say is a huge, huge thank you. Sir Sam Everington, Lord Andrew Mawson. It's been an honour, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tonight. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.